Welcome to Define You Radio. If you have ever wondered what would happen if the stop sign was truly only a stumbling block, stay tuned. Class is in session each week with guests who didn't let their past define them and have found a way to define themselves in life, money, and business. Pens and papers ready. Class is now in session with your host, Valencia Griffin-Wallace. This session is brought to you by Define Use Move Retreat, a mini retreat designed to align, celebrate, and grow the queen in you. Go ahead to ValenciaGWallace.com slash events and secure your spot today. Hey, kings and queens, it's your girl, Valencia Griffin-Wallace, and welcome to episode 220. I get a chance to dive into love and relationships with Queen Johanna Intara. Do you know your love language? Well, we're about to find out. We're going to also find out how to go from the romantic stage to the promised land because all relationships go through stages. With that being said, let's go ahead and welcome Johanna to the show. Queen Johanna, how are you doing today? Oh, thank you. That is so wonderful. I love it when women call each other queens. It's wonderful (laughs) to meet you. I'm wonderful. Thanks for inviting me to come chat with you and your and your people today. The majority of the women I know are single and more specifically single parents. And I know that, you know, it's a little bit of your specialty. So I'm excited to definitely delve into that aspect of love and relationships and everything. But before we get started, why don't you go ahead and share with us, how did you get here? Such a great question, right? I ask myself that at least a couple times a week. How did I get here? You know, whatever the current challenge is, how did I get here? And, uh, you know, I, I've been working in the field of counseling and psychology and spirituality, coaching, mentorship, guidance for over 30 years. And at this point have um, over 30,000 hours sitting with lots of different people, lots of different kinds of work. And in the last year, I had an astrologer who actually looked at my chart and he said, you've got Mars, the planet of passion and Venus, Matt, uh, sorry, the god of passion and Venus, the goddess of love, right here together in the top of your chart, public life. And I was like, yeah, I'm really supposed to be doing this work <laughs> with relationship, intimacy, connection, love, sexuality, because I really, truly, deeply cherish and find it so important to understand how the dance happens between not only men and women, but the masculine and feminine, the masculine inside of us, the feminine inside of us, and how that comes together to create hot sex, love, and closeness. And specifically, I'm here to serve parents because while there are a gazillion intimacy, love, relationship, and dating coaches out there, there's virtually no one applying all of that wisdom and mojo and things to do that specifically refer to parents. And I think that parents really need specific support because we're dealing, whether you're single, whether you're uh, married for a long time or a little time, we've got kid out, kids on the way or you're separated and doing it alone. It's a different ride to bring in the parenting stuff. And so 
I'm here to serve that, to be a queen alongside you and serve your audience. And here I am and here we are. I definitely uh, agree with the statement you made about it being a gazillion dating relationship coaches. And what I find, and it's very interesting when you see men giving relationship advice to women um, and to each its own, but to give advice to women, especially in regards to that, you have to be a woman. And some people may disagree with me, but our inner workings are different. It's true. It's really true. I think of men, and it could be said to be true in the reverse too for women, you have to really have done some deep work on your own inner masculine and or inner feminine to be able to truly connect, relate, empathize, understand, and and guide people. Otherwise, you will probably be projecting out some of your unseen parts and not helping. And certainly the person not feeling understood or gotten, for sure. So I think that's a really important thing that people who are doing this work, definitely, we, we need to do our own work. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I definitely agree. Because I couldn't tell anybody how, how to get a husband, you know, because <laughs> how to get a husband, how to get a date. No, I could tell you how to be a wife. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell people like I've been married before, but this is the first time I've been a wife Mm -hmm. and you have to understand what that means. So in, in your life, in your own inner work, Mm -hmm. what did you have to learn about being a a partner? Oh my gosh. So much, so much. I, I did not come from a lineage that had good role modeling and good examples. I call them templates, you know, because templates are kind of like the transmission from parent to child and parent to child down the lineage. I did not have good templates on how to do good, healthy, hot sex, love, and closeness. I came from two warriors, two Aries, both ruled by the planet Mars. I was just writing about this and speaking about this on my own podcast today that, you know, Aries is the god of war, uh, god of war, ruled by Mars, Mars the god of war. And uh, you know, instinctual, ram and lamb, monk Muhammad Ali was a triple Aries with his own little island, not mm. super social. You know, Mars would go get Venus when he wanted a lover and they would make mad passionate love. And then that would be it, but not social. So it was a lot of fight, eat, sleep, fight, eat, sleep. And a friend joked to me and she said, you know, it would have been great if there had been some F in there, you know, F (laughs) fight, eat, sleep. And uh, that would have been really helpful. It would even, that would have helped. But because there was no connection and no intimacy or ability to do intimacy and it hadn't been given in the lineage, that's what I got. So I arrived at adult relationships, you know, when you finally sort of land and realize, oh my gosh, I have to really be an adult here. Having to undo all of the destructive conditioning that I had got around love, sex, intimacy, closeness, parenting, all that, I had to undo that, which meant I had to face my personal injuries and wounds. I had to heal those. 
some of those I healed alone in counseling and my own individual therapy work. A lot got healed with my husband of 16 years in couples therapy, couples groups where we were all laying, you know, our emotional stuff really bare and being witnessed and held and supported so that we could turn over all the destructive energy into constructive, creative, healing love energy. And that was really the basis and the groundwork where we had to start so that we could have a shot at having hot sex, love, and closeness. And I know that so many people want that, and they often compare themselves to Hollywood, which makes it look like it should be all, you know, romantic love woo-woo. But those chemicals of the honeymoon stage wear off after 18 months. Mm. And then it's like the power struggle stage, and how are we going to really do this? And a lot of people quit at that point, or they blame themselves. And it doesn't have to be that way. We have to undo the templates that were given to us so we can make new ones so they can run the show of our lives better so that it's a good movie that we want to see on the big screen of our lives as opposed to drama trauma, which so many people get stuck and entrenched in, as you probably know. Definitely, definitely. Um, and I'm an Aquarius. And I, and I tell people this because I'm a February Aquarius because I don't care if people say there's a difference between a January Aquarius and a February Aquarius. Huh. Um, tell, me, tell me what you see as the difference. Uh, February Aquariuses tend to be the stronger Aquariuses. Um, so like there is that balance of what people say is good about Aquariuses and bad. But I think the February Aquariuses are not bad, but we're just a little bit more direct. So, for instance, like previously in relationships, I've been told that I'm unemotional or I don't care and where maybe a January Aquarius might try to explain that they don't Mm -hmm. feel that way. As a February Aquarius, I'm going to be like, well, if that's how you feel and just go on about my business, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, just like very unapologetic in, in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't learn how to be a better partner and a better person until I became a parent mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I didn't know how mm-hmm. to express love because to me, um, I don't want to say love made you weak, but I didn't allow the weakness that I didn't allow the weakness that came with love until I became a parent and love literally came out of me. Maybe that's the difference between January versus February Aquarius is too. Hmm. That's a good research study. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, there's so much, you know, that every astrology sign has as their unique specialty when it comes to relationship, love, connection. And then there's the shadow sides and it's of every sign, you know, Aquarians can be true humanitarians because they're ruled by the planet Uranus there, which is the planet most far, far away from the earth. There's a particular remote genius that they have. And the challenge can be, which, which we need, you know, we need, we need global humanitarian uh, genius, but the challenge can often be bringing it into the body through this human, you know, it can be really hard to bring it through the body. 
And so sometimes Aquarians, like you said, get accused of not being emotional or being kind of impersonal or, or maybe being even kind of detached. But mm-hmm. it's because you're over there all the way on planet Uranus incubating and, and thinking about your beautiful genius. <laughs> I'm just like, and here I am like the Taurus going, can you please bring this down to earth? You know, please bring it to earth. So yeah, there's, there's positive and, and shadow aspects to everything, you know, but that is the dance of how we really do that. How do we open up to that? How do we find out our, our lightness and also be really humble and honest about our darkness as well? Cause we all have it. Do you think everyone needs a partner in life or do you think that maybe some people just are meant to be single? What a great question. Well, I really believe in free will. I truly believe in free will. And I also, and it may seem paradoxical, you know, some people have a destiny to really do relationship as a major growing path in this lifetime. And then there are some people who it's just simply not their orientation. They don't go there. They don't think about it. They're not oriented there. They're not excited by it, but they're really excited and oriented towards other things. Mm. And I don't think one is better than the other. And, you know, I mean, I personally am oriented towards relationship, partnership, connecting, relating, empathy, kindness. You know, I think I took my Gallup Strength Pole Finder last year and my number one and two were relator and connector. You know, I love relationship. I love the dance of relationship. I love the process. I love the learning. I love all the goodies that come from it. And there's also shadows to it too. It's a lot of deep work. It's a lot of intimate work. It's a lot of of deep vulnerability work. And having said all that, you know, there's so many different ways to partner in life. One can be through an actual relationship, but then there are also people, and I'm sure you know them as well, who are deeply learning how to partner with themselves and be their own best partner, best inside marriage partner. I think it's an inside out job, partner in work you know, partner to their creativity, partner to their spiritual practice, you know, who's to say for any of us, what true partnership should look like in this lifetime. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's good. Being (laughs) a partner, a partner with yourself, which I think is the thing that made the difference when I was ready to partner outwardly Mm -hmm. and become a wife. I knew how to be the best Valencia I could be, good, Mm -hmm. bad, and ugly. So -hmm. when I came to, you know, good, bad, and ugly Aquarius. So when I came to being open to to really, truly partnering with, with someone else and, you know, me and my husband got together, I was able to be fully and completely honest with who I am. And I think a lot of people don't do that part. They don't do that part. I'm going to just show you the good with me and my makeup and all the pretty parts. What does partnership has to do, have to do with having a fulfilled life? That's a great question. That's a great question. Well, for those of us, I believe, who feel called, then that is part of our fulfillment. It's part of our 
our journey. You know, uh, to me, soul fulfillment is really about the journey from being very intimate with the desires that come from your soul in love to your purpose in love to experiencing that in a way that feels joyful, ecstatic, rapturous, to doing the inner work that our soul requires in partnership, to um, evolving, to learning the practices that it takes for us to really do that. And there are so many things we can do to evolve that. But eventually, if you keep doing that work over the course of years and a lifetime, that does lead to a certain kind of fulfillment. But again, that can also take place. Like for example, a women's retreat I led a few years ago, there was a ceremony where each woman married herself. I was the minister. And she took some time in the afternoon to really create her vows, her, her unbroken commitments and devotion to herself. And she declared those. And for some women that who are not in relationship, who were not in relationship in that retreat and who still choose not to be for whatever reasons it's right for them, that was really fulfilling for them. That journey is fulfilling them. They've partnered with what feels really right to them. One of the reasons I call the show uh, Classes in Session is the tagline, because it, it's always a learning journey, not just for the audience, but for me as well. Mm-hmm. I love that commitment to self because we commit to so many other things and haven't committed to ourselves. And I wanted to ask you, because you kind of briefly touched on it a little bit about, you know, feminine and masculine energy. Do you find that if two people come into a relationship and have masculine energy, it's a problem? I could see how a lot of people upon first being asked that question might say yes, but I think it really depends on another factor, a number of factors. And so I'll share a little bit more about what I mean. So for example, um, I think it's really important for there to be strong, erotic, dynamic, potent friction and tension the kind that you have when you first meet somebody. And this is not just limited to heterosexual couples. This exists, you know, um, in same-sex couples as well, or more uh, gender or binary fluid. There's a dance with sexuality, and we can all play all the roles. I think, you know, it's like, what does it mean for each person? If those masculine sides, when they come together, if they're more unconscious and maybe they have more shadow elements or more destructive elements, and that could be more destructive. But I think it really depends on what what are you wanting to use those masculine energies for? If it's harnessed creatively, like I'd said about my two Aries parents, mm-hmm. if they were mature and it was fight, F, eat, sleep in a really productive way, <laughs> that could probably move mountains. And in fact, the most united thing my parents ever did was decide to, on a big dare, moved to this country when I was nine years old. I was born in the UK and raised there. And my parents decided at one point they were going to come here and on the count of three, say, yes, we're moving or no, we're not. That was, (laughs) they were (laughs) daring and bold and, you know, picked up their life and sold a house and business and cars and everything. And it was this big, big adventure that took a lot of masculine energy to do that. Yeah. Right. But I think it's always about the dance. You know, it's always about the dance. It's about the dance between the different sides. I have lots of masculine sides in me and I have also 
lots of deeply feminine sides of me. And so does my partner, my husband. And it's really about, for me, the real freedom is the creativity to play with all of those sides of mine, with all those sides of him. And if I'm not having enough of the creativity, then it's probably my work to see where any kind of shadow, any kind of dark, destructive behaviors from really, really overt to really, really, you know, more subtle and more refined are holding up the creative life force because we're either constructive, creative, right? Or we're destructive. And that destructive can look really overt or it can be much more subtle stuff. And so this is like the work that you can do is to really start to look at all those sides. What are my masculine sides? What are my feminine sides? What are the destructive ones of each? What are the constructive ones of each? What are the loving ones of each? I think this is where Carl Jung's study study of archetypes is really helpful. You know, there are, there are archetypes, which stands basically an archetype is a body of energy. So for example, in women, like you greeted me on this call, hello, queen, <laughs> you know, there's the queen and there's the mother and there's the maiden and there's the crone and there's the matriarch. And then there's, you know, there's sexual archetypes as well. The, the, con- the concubine, the, um, the diva, right? The, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, the coquette, you know, um, the mystic, the huntress, um, and so on and so forth, the goddess the siren, the boss, right? So we all have all of these different sides with us. And it's a wonderful thing to just start to play with them and to have the kind of relationship where we can discuss that. There's a whole lot of masculine archetypes, the prince, the knight, you know, the player, the boss, the Mm -hmm. king, the emperor. And we can all have all of those sides in each of us. Yeah, so I guess it really, for me, hinges on, is it creative or is it not? When you, before you could get into really working with somebody, do, do you find that you have a lot of um, unpacking or undoing what they learned growing up? Like what they saw in their parents' relationships or, you know, other people's relationships? Do you find you have to do a lot of unpacking i guess when it comes to their relationship experience i think it really depends on how much work each person has done before they get in the new relationship so some people come to relationships as you know having done a whole lot of inner work and some people haven't do you find that most have or have not just with the what you see with the people you work with? I think it's really mixed. You know, I have people that have been doing deep inner work for 30, 40 years. And then I have people that are just coming to me in their early 20s who are just starting their adult lives, trying to figure out all the pieces. And some people have been given models and templates by their families of origin that are really wonderful and awesome about doing relationships closeness, intimacy, connection, good, healthy role models of each parent embodying a healthy sexuality. But mostly, that's not the case. Mostly, there is some kind of conditioning, wounding, injuring, 
on some of that. And that really affects how we then come to adult relationships. I mean, I knew that there was a lot of really messed up stuff in my own family. So I started, I took myself to counseling when I was 12 <laughs> mm. <laughs> because and I walked in and I just said, I have, I am really, I have a lot of work to do. And I started because I knew that I, it was like do or die. Um, but everybody has their own unique way of coming to the work and of doing it. And it's not like, you know, you just do your inner work either with by yourself or in relationship with your partner. And then there's a day where it's like, okay, we're done with all that. Now we're just in this phase, this next phase. I mean, certainly there can be deep periods of doing deep shadow work, right? And then you move on and it's not so much that, but there still might be tendrils and little things that you still have to deal with. And we all have our core issues, right? We all have our core wounds, our core issues. And it's not like those ever entirely go away. Because we mature with them and they, we mature them, right? Mm. And um, they grow over time into more maturity. But I think they're always there on some level. And they always could have the opportunity to hijack the show, so to speak, if we let them. But we only let them if we don't have the awareness to really be more mature and bigger and have the resources to take care of. I I definitely agree with that. A lot of times people are waiting until something goes away. And a lot of times it's, I think certain things never go away. Like you said, you just use it. It's a, it's a maturing, growing tool. And if it goes away, then you lose the growth that came with it. Those are my Mm -hmm. feelings on that. So if somebody wanted to increase the love in in their life. What's something that they could do to to do that? Like if I look at my relationship with my husband and I want to increase our love, so to speak, what's something that would help with that? What's one practice or one tool that I could use? That's so wonderful. Um, a couple things are coming to mind that you could do pretty straightforward and this works well in a family as well which is um to identify your love language you heard the book the five love languages Mm -hmm. yes ma'am we've got words of affirmation we've got physical touch we've got acts of service so one of the things we did on a family road trip this weekend was everybody figured out their love language And then we went into this uh, because we had six hours in the car. Everybody went into a spontaneous uh, giving to the other members of the family, their love in their language. So for example, my daughter's was um, words of affirmation. And for about an hour, everybody, maybe 45 minutes, just were telling her things about her in words of affirmation. And I wish you could have just seen the look on her face, the smile of delight, the happiness. It's literally like watering the garden and seeing the soul sparkle inside, you know. For mine, it's quality of time, time, quality time. My husband's physical touch and my son was also physical touch. So finding out the love language and giving it to your partner and just watch the good mojo and the love just grow inside both with each other 
and or if you've got kids in the family unit. So that's the first thing. The second thing you can do is start to learn the language of your feelings and start to get really comfortable being vulnerable. Mm. And vulnerability, a lot of people uh, might just want me to define that just to make it easy. Vulnerability is being willing to share and be transparent about the things that you might have some concerns about being exposed or it might feel a tiny bit or a lot a bit (laughs) emotionally (laughs) a little dangerous. But because they're so deep, when you share them and you're received with love and care, compassion, creativity, it makes things closer. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing to increase love would be to free up the destructive patterns, free up the disconnection, free up the things that are not working, free up the entanglements, free up all those places because they hold valuable, I call it life and love force, life force, love force. And when you free those up, guess what you get to have back? Love. More love. love. Love and more love and more love and more energy and more love and more life and more life energy because you're not spending your energy. No, you can get real down. If you're in a conflict with your partner, it can kind of take over your mood or take over your day or whatever. It's kind of like a hijacking, but that's how the technology works, which means we can really use it in the opposite direction as well. I love those three tips, especially the love language, because I think most people wouldn't think about finding out your child's love language. Mm-hmm. I don't honestly, I don't know mine. I will definitely make it a point. So mm-hmm. of course, if I don't know mine, I don't know my husband's. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I'm definitely going to make it a point to learn about it, figure it out and and apply it. Thank you for that. So do you feel like knowing like my son, my son is 22, by the way. So it's a whole different level, I think, versus him being a teenager. Do you think finding out his love language would make a make me a better parent? Absolutely, because then he is empowered through his, you know, he's 22. So he probably hasn't had a lot of relationships yet. That I know of. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what a wonderful gift to receive from your parent who helps you understand your love language, what that means, and how you can be loved by others. So imagine your son asking for how he'd like to be loved. Imagine him having that empowerment. Imagine him being able to have the resources to then find out who his partner of choice likes to be loved Mm. and being able to do that. Imagine having that at 22. I wish I'd have that at 22. Imagine what that would have been like. Imagine if our parents had had that and their parents, right? We're just beginning to understand so much about all this. We have a long way to go as humans, right? Definitely, definitely. Because it was, if you look at like arranged marriages, I know it's not a thing here in the U.S., but I'm just saying I wish it was in far as far as dealing with my son. I know that sounds a little crazy, but <laughs> but I think that, you know, when you think about. I don't want to say forced relationships or things like that, you don't 
You, you're supposed to be a wife. You're supposed to be a husband. Maybe it's a Southern thing. And, Mm -hmm. but you don't learn how, or rather you're supposed to be married, but you don't learn how, how, mm-hmm. how do, how do you, cause Valencia as a married woman, as a wife is different from Valencia as a mom, different from Valencia as a single mom. And I think I love how you just kind of unpacking and putting a lot of things in perspective because it does affect at the end of the day, your parenting and the growth of your relationship. Absolutely. We, we have to be conscious of how we're doing relationship. Otherwise, we pass down unseen templates to our children of how they do relationship. And sometimes they don't even know what those templates are until there's drama, trauma on their relationship stage. Mm. Well, I guess we as a family, we're going to all learn our love language. Yay. You have to let me know what they are. Do you have a sense of what what yours would be? Do you have a sense of it would be? Well, I don't know. I don't know all like I don't know the five. Like if I knew the five, I could probably say "Mm, this is probably me. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't think it's affirmation. I don't think it's quality time. Um, What are I'm going to have to look at? Yeah, it's words, words of affirmation, Mm -hmm. physical touch quality time, acts of service. And I believe there's one more drawing a blank at the moment. Oh, gifts, giving gifts, thoughtful gifts. I would bet mine is acts of service. Like I'm, I'm willing to bet that. Uh huh. So you feel really loved when people do acts of service for you. Right. I don't know if you could have two, maybe a mixture. I don't know, but I would say, and I'm going to figure it out and I'm definitely going to email you and let you know, and then definitely let the audience know. But I would say probably acts of service, my husband helping me or my son helping me, um, like with the pets, for instance, which is like having three toddlers in the house, (laughs) that means more than anything else. Cause that shows that you're considerate of me and considerate of, of my time and things I have to do and you're doing it. It's good to know. We can, I think on the test, it shows you what the top one is and then, Mm -hmm. you know, what the next two are. You might have some that are clustered together or there's a tie as I had. So yeah, let me know. And I'd love to hear from your audience too, what they find out as well and how we can better use this to, be better at loving each other, better at caring for each other, because that really is the face of the future, mm. you know, regardless of all of our differences, which, of course, there are many because we're humans and we're diverse and that's just how it is. How do we care for each other? How do we love each other? How do we have compassion for each other? How do we have empathy for each other? And let's make these tools simple and directing and get started because anybody can do it. I love that. And I'm excited. And I love what you do and what you teach and how you help others. Cause I mm-hmm. think if I wasn't in a healthy relationship and, and, you know, I, even though we've been married for a while, you know, we, I think we're still in that honeymoon phase. I don't know. Uh-huh. I think so. <laughs> I think so. But it's, it's great to know that you're, you almost serve like a, a buffer between, 
yay, I love him to I'm done. Oh yeah. That's, that's called doing the work stage. <laughs> I love it's, that. it's going from the land of romantic love, which is filled with that wonderful chemical concoction of serotonin and cortisol, I believe, and testosterone. And there's one more feel good hormone in there that I'm drawing a blank in at the moment. Probably melatonin. Because anything oh, dealing with sleep makes me feel good. Oh, I don't think it's melatonin, but I'll, I'll find out what it is and let you know. But, you know, our brains can only sustain that cocktail for about 18 months at the most. That's mm-hmm. about the length of the longest honeymoon stage. And then it we and they actually say that when we come off that stage, it's equivalent to coming off of heroin. Really? Right, because this is what also creates some people who have love addiction or addiction to falling in love because that hormone cocktail is so compelling and so wonderful. And you never think it's going to end while you're in it, but it does. And then the disillusionment starts, and we call that you know, the power struggle stage. Oh, I'm not, you're not who I thought you were. Well, there's this, and I didn't know about this because we were all in you know, one of the things that characterizes romantic love is that projection stage of all the person that you want to see that other person as. Mm. So there is a journey from romantic love to what I call the promised land of true love. And that mm. is really getting conscious and of the work that the two of you have together and doing it, really committing to doing it and having support to do it as well. We can't do this alone. Hashtag amen. As I say, so I love that. <laughs> Queen Johanna, um, if somebody wants to get, you know, more tips and connect with you and see how they could go about this process, what's the best way the audience can get in touch with you? Wonderful. Thank you so much. And uh, two ways. The first way is to go to free call with Joanna, J-O-A-N-N-A dot com, free call with Joanna or hop on over to our Facebook group, Hot Sex, Love, and Closeness for Parents. We have things in there every day, podcasts. We have a Facebook Live every Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock. We have um, practices each week on the topics of hot sex, love, closeness, parenting, and soul fulfillment. We have uh, challenges and dares that I invite you to and tips and nudges, really super practical things you can do for free straight away now. I'd love to hear from you. I have learned so much and I thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing, you know, just basically about what what we need to be happy. That's how I look at it. How can you be happy? (laughs) Hmm. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me. It's a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you, my queen, and your audience. And I hope this has been really helpful for everybody. And we are here to answer any of your questions and to be of service. So thank you for tuning in. Yay. Awesome. Kings and queens, make sure you find out your love language, okay? Because a lot of you guys, I can't help you because I don't know where mine is. That's that's pretty much what I have to say. So with that being said, pens and papers down. Class is officially over. Make sure you subscribe to the show. 
And until next time, remember, your past doesn't define you. It gives you definition. And what you do with that is up to you. Nobody could have predicted that 2019 was going to be as stressful as it is. As women, we have many roles and responsibilities that we barely get time for us. But guess what, Queen? If you fall apart, everything you're working so hard to take care of will too. That's why you need a retreat. Go to ValenciaGWallace.com and find out more about the MOVE retreat because Queen's need a break too.